the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. And if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed, and a good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. We're underway at nine minutes after the hour of nine o'clock. On a Thursday, the 13th morning of the fourth month of the year of our Lord, 2023. Coming up on the program this morning, in about an hour, we will re-engage in the culture wars. As a matter of fact, that's going to be the topic of the monologue, too, because we are getting into the culture wars, and we are fighting back hard. I'll explain. And right now, there's a, it's only a battle in the larger war, but right now there are, there are a few victories we can celebrate. But the culture wars go on. And uh, one of our generals is Dr. Everett Piper. He'll be with us at 1010 as he is each and every Thursday morning, with except the exception of last week when he was uh, out of touch. But uh, he is with us now and will be, I should say, at uh, 1010 this morning. At 1110, <clears throat> we're going to talk with Jerry Serino Jr., who is taking the pro-life message and the uh, importance of passing the constitutional uh, threshold bill, the HDRC, or HDR1, which of course is the joint resolution to raise the threshold that it takes to amend the Ohio Constitution from 50% to 60% of the votes. Uh, and of all of this is going to be, of course, crucial in November when the ballot initiative goes forward to try to uh, put uh, abortion 
and to take parents' rights away from them when it comes to their kids wanting to transition and beyond. Uh, when that ballot initiative hits the um, uh, hits uh, all of us in no- November, so Jerry Serino Jr. is going from college to college to college to tell the truth about what's going on. So we're going to talk to him about that at eleven ten. So Dr. Everett Piper at ten ten, Jerry Serino Jr. at uh, eleven ten, and we're looking forward to those conversations. We of course look forward to hearing from you as well at two one six nine zero one zero nine four five and triple eight two eight one eleven ten. Now before I get into the monologue and lose my place, I want to ask you to rise. Face the flag if you have one. If you do not, go ahead and let work on that, and maybe next time around you'll have it. But put your head on your uh, hand on your heart and join us for our Pledge of Allegiance. If you are a believer in trying to force grotesque ideologies down the throats of innocent, liberty-loving people, well, you don't have any earthly idea what that flag means anyway. You don't have to stand and pledge your allegiance to it. You may instead take a knee next to that unemployed quarterback over there. For the rest of us, however, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right, so um, my little teaser there before the pledge, which I always try to do, I try to tie it in somehow or another to the monologue that we're going to do. Uh, I said forcing things down the throat, forcing ideology down the throat. In this case, it's literal in addition to figurative. Because Bud Light used to trickle down the throats of millions and millions of Americans, making it a multi-billion dollar brand. It is no longer a multi-billion. Well, let me rephrase that. It is on its way to not being a multi-billion dollar brand. Because in the sh- a few short days since Budweiser decided to plaster the face of the little femboy known as Dylan uh, uh, Mulvaney, who likes to dress up like a six-year-old girl, and apparently has a lot of fans who like that too, including President Joe Biden, because he invited Dylan Mulvaney to the White House, decided to plaster his face. And by the way, if I ever say her in this, it's completely by mistake, so... uh, Bear with me on that. But obviously, Dylan Mulvaney is a biological male. It's the reason why he is getting all of these endorsements. He's a biological male, but he's acting like a female. If there was actually a female who looked and acted like uh, Dylan Mulvaney, there's no way any actual female would be getting these endorsement contracts from Bud Light or anywhere else. But because he's a male, uh, he does. And uh, Which brings us to the story. Um, Anheuser-Busch has now lost... More than five, depending on which news report you read, because I saw one this morning that said $7 billion. The one that I'm looking at right now is from the New York Post that says Anheuser-Busch has lost more than $5 billion in value since Dylan Mulvaney and the, the little partnership that he set up with, uh, with, with Bud, White, or with, uh, Bud Light. Anheuser-Busch saw its value plummet more than $5 billion since the company announced its branding partnership with controversial transgender social media influencer, and I'll add femboy Dylan Mulvaney. Since March 31st, so what are we talking, two weeks, shares of Bud Light's parent company have fallen by nearly 4%, knocking the company's market capitalization down from $132.38 billion, so it's still going to be a multi-billion dollar company for a while, but you don't lose $4 billion in two weeks and have everything be okay. It's now down to $127.13, $5 billion, beg pardon. 
Anheuser-Busch stock fizzled more than 1.5% yesterday alone. The company is dealing with the fallout from conservatives, although I would say to you, not just conservatives. I'm glad that we are kind of the spearhead of this whole thing, but we are not the only ones. There aren't $5 billion worth of conservative beer drinkers in the country anyway that could all have been doing what Kid Rock did. He put, uh, stacked a few cases of Bud Light up on a, uh, you know, on a on a sawhorse or something, uh, and then just blew the living daylights out of it with a with a with a machine gun. Um, there aren't enough of us, really, to make that much of a dent. There are more than just conservatives who are saying, "No, I am sick and tired of this." I I don't care how inclusive I might feel. I don't care how supportive I might feel of people's identities and genders and so on and so forth. I'm sick of this. And I think that's what Bud Light is starting to finally realize. The company, uh, let's see, Dylan Mulvaney fired back at critics on Tuesday, accusing them of bullying the New York Post writes her because the New York Post writes she's an easy target. Read more correctly, accusing them of bullying him because he is an easy target, because that's what he is. As a guest on some podcast run by Rosie O'Donnell, I didn't know she was still around, said her trolls intentionally twist, or I'm sorry, I'm going to read it my way. Mulvaney said his trolls uh, intentionally twist his words and actions in an effort to blast the transgender community. Let me stop right there. First of all, I want to say to all of us who have... This is such a very important distinction I need to make here. Who have on our own accord decided, I'm not drinking or buying that crap anymore. That's what a true grassroots, personal choice, individual liberty boycott looks like. The distinction is important. I didn't see Kid Rock... I didn't see any of the country music singers. I didn't see, because there's a number of them who have uh, decided not to partner with or allow Bud Light to be a part of their tours and so on and so forth anymore over this. I didn't see any of them putting petitions together. I didn't see anybody of note saying, let's organize a boycott of this company. That's what the left does, and they do it very effectively. They organize boycotts, and they aim to financially punish people involved with various controversial things that they don't like. I don't see that from the conservative side, from our side, which is good. That's obviously important. That's how I want it to be. I didn't see any organized. What I did see, and I see on social media, is people not saying, hey, I want you to not buy this now. Hey, I wish you would join me in a boycott of this company What I do see is people just saying, I'm done, on their own, individually, with their own reasons in mind. People who are free to make their own decisions are making their own decisions, not part of some massive boycott organized by some, you know, far, well, it's usually far left, some far left organization trying to, you know, advance a political agenda. This is just something that consumers say, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. I don't want to see that guy's face on my screen anymore, and I sure as hell don't want to see it on my beer can. And they're just dumping it out. They're not buying it. 
And I love that because it's organic. That's what a true grassroots kind of boycott or message really is all about. So to everybody who's doing this on their own, not from pressure, not from wanting to be a part of a social group where we as a group have decided we're not going to drink this anymore and, and let's get other people to join in. People are doing it on their own. So to all of us who are doing it on our own. Can you dig it? <laughs> very glad about that. Now, let me say this. Dylan Mulvaney uh, said on that Rosie O'Donnell show, quote, the, the reason I think I am such an easy target is because I'm so new to this. I think going after a trans woman, your guy, that's been doing this for like 20 years is a lot more difficult. I think maybe they think that there's some sort of chance with me. But what is their goal? They don't understand me, these people. And anything I do or say then somehow gets taken out of context and used against me. And it's so sad because everything I try to put out is positive. It's trying to connect with others that maybe don't understand me. It's to, you you don't even understand you. You're a dude and you act like a chick. Don't talk about other people not understanding you. It's to make people laugh or to make a kid feel seen, end quote. Okay. So I want to explain this in as uh, simple terms as I can. People are repulsed by you. Okay, dude? People are repulsed by you, not just because you have gender dysphoria. And I think this is one of these attention seekers who probably has gender dysphoria but is just milking it to the hilt. People are sick and tired of seeing you not because of your own mental delusion or your own confusion. People are sick of you because you live your life 24-7 in front of your cell phone. You cannot do anything without preening and and smiling and doing your goofy little dances and your goofy little statements. And every single day, you are on 50 different videos on social media, and people are sick of seeing your face. They're grossed out by you as it is because you're a dude who tucks your genitalia beneath your legs and then stands there in a bikini and says, what's wrong? Lots of women have bulges. What? No. You are repulsive and repugnant to people. Nobody wants to see you doing that. Nobody wants to see you on their their, their phone screen, their computer screen, their tablet screen, everywhere they go because you can't live your life without a spotlight being on you. That's what this is about, much less when they get tired of it after the day is gone and they want to pick up a cold one and then they got to see your face on their can. No, this is this is not about attacking anybody, making people feel bad, but they are sick and tired of your attention seeking self. And you are personally responsible now for harming other people. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is this. This is a gentleman who did his own video. Uh, It's the first time he's been on video, unlike the 700,000 times that Dylan Mulvaney has been on uh, social media video. But this is a merchandiser, a beer merchandiser, standing in one of the grocery stores that he services and standing in front of shelves that are just packed and stocked with Bud Light. And this is his message. Um... I work for an affiliate company. I am a merchandiser, and the sole product of the company I work for is Anheuser-Busch products. So with all this canceling going on, 
there's, I mean, I've never seen such little sales in this past few days uh, on these products. And it's, it's sad because when people don't buy this beer, I don't make money and I can't feed my family. So it's kind of uh, heartbreaking, I guess, that um, Anheuser-Busch did what they did. They don't know their clientele. So it's uh, kind of heartbreaking. Thanks, Anheuser-Busch. I may not be able to feed my family coming up here soon. This is a real person. This is a real guy expressing his real uh, trauma uh, that he and his family are enduring now because of what is going on. And this is the reason I have never organized a boycott. I have said on this radio many, many times, I will not buy Nike products. I have many, many Nike products that I've bought through the years that I won't throw away because I'm not well-to-do enough that I can just throw all of my stuff away and buy new stuff. So some of the stuff that has lasted through the years is still there in the closet. Uh, I try not to wear it if I don't have to, but I won't buy new Nike stuff. I've never gone on the radio, and I've never organized something that said, let's never buy Nike again. Let's never buy uh, Anheuser-Busch again. I don't organize boycotts. I don't participate in organized boycotts. But what I do, what I will do is tell people, do what you feel is right. And the reason I don't organize those boycotts is because I don't want to have collateral damage. Guys like this, you organize a boycott of a store because of the policies of the owners and the cashiers get fired because they're losing money. You've harmed other people. I don't like organizing them, but I absolutely support people doing what they believe is right. And people all over this country to the tune of at least $5 billion and maybe $7 billion of value, that's overall market value of Anheuser-Busch that they've lost in the last two weeks, they have spoken out on what they believe is right. And the sad thing is there is going to be collateral damage, and that damage is being done not by the boycotters or those who are choosing to pour this swill down the drain and never buy it again. The damage is being done. The collateral damage is being done by the dude, Dylan Mulvaney, and by the Budweiser, or Bud Light, rather, uh, advertising executives who said, you know what, let's be more inclusive. Some people don't think this is a big deal. Some people don't think this is worth talking about. Some people don't think this is worth, uh, you know, uh, our time and our attention. I disagree wholeheartedly. This is real-life America in real American cities in, in, you know, states all over this country. This is, this is our lives. This is what we do. And when we can make a difference and we choose to do something on our own, not as a part of some larger, you know, corporate-sponsored type of boycott or some sort of a massive uh, movement, but when people do things on their own like this, this is what it's all about. And I support this. I support this wholeheartedly. I personally don't drink anymore anyway. haven't drank for a long time. If I do have one, I may have one or two or three beers a year at a various event. I can promise you. I can promise you I will have this in my mind when I make up my mind as to what I order. And I know that millions and millions of Americans are doing the same thing. This is much bigger than beer. It's much bigger than Anheuser-Busch. This is a statement about what we are sick and tired of, and we'll talk more about it after this. Spreading the light of liberty and holding the line against the darkness of tyranny. Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz and The Answer. 
936 now. Don't forget, Dr. Everett Piper comes with uh, comes our way and uh, uh, leads us in the culture war at about 1010 this morning. I want to stay on this Bud Light topic for a little bit longer because i got more information I want to share with you. I talked about this a little bit yesterday uh, hosting the Prager Show. <clears throat> Not about the boycotts, uh, but just uh, what Anheuser-Busch has done uh, and why they did it. And um, the vice president of marketing for Bud Light is uh, on a viral video in which she was being interviewed and she was asked about why she decided to put a little femme male on the uh, can and enter into this marketing agreement with the one of the most annoying personalities of any type uh, on social media. Um, and... Her name is Alyssa Heinerscheid, I guess, looking at the spelling. She's the vice president of marketing. I want you to listen to what she says and why she did what she did. I'm a businesswoman. Mm -hmm. I had a really clear job to do when I took over Bud Light. And it was, this brand is in decline. It's been in decline for a really long time. And if we do not attract young drinkers to come and drink this brand, there will be no future for Bud Light. So I had this super clear mandate. It's like we Mm -hmm. need to evolve and elevate this incredibly iconic brand and my what i brought to that was a belief in okay what is what what does evolve and elevate mean it means inclusivity it means shifting (laughs) the tone it means having a campaign that's truly inclusive and feels lighter and brighter and (laughs) that's what uh that's what i picture Beer drinkers wanting at the end of a hard day's work is something that feels inclusive and something that feels lighter and brighter. I I need something lighter and brighter in my day. I got news for you, Alyssa. The people you're talking about reaching out to right now want nothing to do with Bud Light. They're drinking White Claws and Trulies, the little alcohol beer seltzers, because that's what, well... Little femboys like, like like Dylan Mulvaney drink. Okay? They're not going to put down their trulies and pick up a Bud Light because they see a little dude in a little girl's dress on the side of a can. They're not going to do that. So the only thing you are serving to do is take the hard-working, uh, you know, regular patrons and supporters and customers of your product, which are generally men, adult men, hard-working men who drink Budweiser and Bud Light, and telling them that you want them to embrace their feminine side. And they're dumping your swill down the drain. Different and appeals to women and to men. Mm-hmm. And representation is it sort of... You think Dylan Mulvaney's little femme face appeals to men. You really think that. The heart of evolution. You've got to see people who reflect you... You think hard-working, beer-drinking men see the face of Dylan Mulvaney and that it reflects them? Really? All right, I've heard enough of her, her absolute nonsense. Now let's get to the reality of it. This Budweiser executive, Alyssa, whatever, uh, Heinerscheid or whatever it is, um, apparently isn't just thinking, I got a mandate because Bud Light was losing money. People weren't buying it anymore. It was failing. We got a little bit of a, of, of a fact check here, uh, thanks to the Federalist, who discovered that top Anheuser-Busch official Annie, or Alyssa Heiderscheid, or whatever it is, previously bragged about her intent to use the company's brands to push D 
I.E. onto customers. This was an agenda for her own personal social justice beliefs. Nothing to do with the sales were lagging and I had a mandate to try to save Bud Light. This was her own personal uh, project, if you will. Following Anheuser-Busch's embrace of a mentally ill man pretending to be a woman as the face of Bud Light Beer, a newly unearthed interview shows a top company official describing how Anheuser-Busch uses divisive and discriminatory D.I.E. ideology when marketing to consumers. Two years ago, Provoke Media published an interview with Anheuser-Busch's Vice President of Communications, Jennifer Morris, as part of its Innovator 25 series. During that interview... Uh, Morris was, oh, so this is Morris, this is a different executive, apologies. Uh, Morris was asked how the public relations industry can make real progress in D.I.E. For context, diversion, inclusion, and equity, often abbreviated to D.I.E., is a divisive and poisonous ideology that dismisses merit to discriminate based on characteristics such as skin color and sex. Individuals who qualify for a certain portion of their merit, on their merits, or excuse me, a certain position on their merits, but don't meet the entity's goal of being more diverse or inclusive or equitable are passed over in face favor of those who check whatever box is necessary. So anyway, in the response, uh, Morris described the unique position Anheuser-Busch is in to bring more attention to the DIE issues in a way that drives positive change and creates a more equitable, equitable world. So this is literally a complete lie. What Annie, or I keep saying Annie, uh, Alyssa Heiderscheid uh, said in the video that I played for you that we had a mandate, or I had a mandate, we're losing money, had absolutely nothing to do with this campaign that has now cost them 5 to $7 billion in corporate valuation. 5 to $7 billion with the B, verified. It had nothing to do with losing money. It had everything to do with pushing their own social justice, D-I-E, agenda. Morris isn't the only Anheuser-Busch official interested in reshaping the company's image during the March 30th interview. That's the one I just shared with you. Alyssa Heinerscheid said that her uh, goal was super clear to try to make the brand lighter and more brighter and more inclusive. Uh, this, of course, being an attempt to reach out to that uh, what they call the marginalized, and I call the privileged, trans community. I spent a good deal of time in this, I think, on Tuesday, explaining how uh, the trans class is the new privileged class in America, more so than the affirmative action-supported uh, African-American uh, privileged class, much more so. Trans people are getting much, much more uh, uh, opportunity and much more defense, um, and, and quite frankly, they're the beneficiaries of the DIE movement, uh, first and foremost. And the last thing I'll share with you is this story from the Daily Wire. New details emerge over mistake that led to Bud Light's partnering and paid marketing engagement with trans influencer, also known as Femboy Della Mulvaney. New details indicate that no one at the senior level of the company was aware of Bud Light's polarizing partnership with Dylan Mulvaney. The company is pausing its marketing efforts and and scrambling to implement a more robust process for evaluating future influencer partnerships. The claims come despite the company's vice president of marketing uh, touting her mandate to make the brand more inclusive and to make it more money. 
The controversy started, I don't want to go back through all of that again, but the Daily Wire reported there was initial confusion as to whether the announcement of Dylan Mulvaney's partnership was real because Bud Light's official social media pages and press page made no mention of it. And come to find out, the reason for that is um, the executives, such as Heinerscheid and uh, Morris, were pretty much going out on their own. They were pretty much advancing their own social justice slash, you know, trans progressivism and diversity, inclusion and equity agendas. They were doing this without getting clearance from the people at the highest level. So you can view this as one of two ways. Number one, you can view that as what it is, in which case Anheuser-Busch has run so so horribly and so shoddily that junior-level executives, at least at the vice presidential level, meaning they're not board-level or they're not presidential-level, that junior-level executives can make massive decisions like this that have cost them billions of dollars and they have not yet been fired, or B, the senior executives did know what was being done by these uh, marketing people, and they agreed with it, and they signed off on it, but now that they're watching their valuation go down by the billions every single day, they have to find, find a way to say, that was a rogue executive. That was somebody who was not authorized to do this. We didn't know about it, so please don't take it out on, on us. We here at Anheuser-Busch do respect our good, normal, traditional beer-drinking clientele. Uh, we're really not trying to cater to the, uh, to the truly and to the White Claw crowd, uh, and we're going to get this, uh, this very bizarre-looking face off of the side of our can as soon as humanly possible. That's what, It's one of those two things, either way. My point in bringing this whole story up this this morning is that we can make a difference. I will not organize formal boycotts of any product or company. I shouldn't say I will not. I have not. Maybe there will be a time that something happens that makes me feel the need to do so, but I'm generally speaking opposed to that type of thing. But I love people making their own individual decisions. I love people having the liberty and the freedom to say, I personally don't like that. I'm not doing that anymore. And enough people have done it that way in the last two weeks that Anheuser-Busch has lost five to seven billion with a B dollars in corporate value. And that's a great thing. We don't have to just sit here and take all of this. We can push back. Tracy is calling us from Strongsville. Tracy, thanks for waiting. You're on AM fourteen twenty the answer. Hey, you hey, Bob. Me on yesterday. <clears throat> you know <laughs> I, I spoke with you yesterday, but I didn't get to hit on this topic. But okay. light Bud Light is literally a blue-collar beer. Like it is yes. an average man's beer. Do you remember the Real Men of Genius commercials, which was brilliant marketing by Bud, by Bud right? Of course. We spoofed I mean, it. We spoofed one of them. before they, they used to, to uh, Before they called them Real Men of Genius, they called them Real American Heroes, and we spoofed, uh, well, we spoofed it here. So, yeah, um, I'm, very, I'm very well aware of those. I don't understand how – I understand you just said the executives high up didn't know this, but – what do they think were going to happen? I'm a Kid Rock fan. I go to see him almost every year. I'm from Detroit originally, mm-hmm. so obviously I love him. Everybody in that crowd is an average, hardworking, middle-class person, and they love Bud Light, women and men. All my girlfriends drink it. Not now. I'll, I won't drink it. it I, I just can't believe they shot themselves in the foot like this by just literally alienating their entire market. Their entire market. <laughs> they did. That's that's a hundred. Because you're right. You called it blue collar. I called it hardworking, hardworking men. That's that's the the clientele and the customer base of Budweiser and Bud Light for a very very long time. 
I've got friends, you probably do too, that if you go out to a bar with, like I said, I don't drink. I used to drink. I don't drink anymore. But but I, if I go out to a bar with, I know the type of people that my buddies are, and I know which ones are going to order Budweiser or Bud Light and which ones are going to order, I'll have um, you know a Heineken or I'll have a, you know, a Labatt or something like that. I know. And it's the, it's the blue-collar guys. You're 1,000% right. I know we're going to order Bud or Bud Light. And they just so told all of those guys, go away. We don't want you. We're going to cater to the femme crowd now. And guess what? Yep. Five to seven billion dollars of lost value later, uh, they found out there isn't a huge market for the femme crowd. Yep, you're absolutely right. And, and, and first, frat boys, okay, what's wrong with that if you're making billions of dollars? Who cares? I mean, you're struggling <laughs> with the frat boys. What's wrong with you? <laughs> no, apparently they want the frat girls now, the frat boys who wear well, dresses. So that's, that's up no, to that's them. That's true. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Tracy. Appreciate it. Uh, Let's talk to John next. John, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Fire away. Hey, good morning, Bob. Good morning, John. Uh, You you know, uh, uh, Budweiser is owned by InBev, which is a European company. And I've been a beer drinker all my adult life. And now that I'm older, I like one just occasionally for special occasions. And I Mm -hmm. like a locally brewed beer. And something with a definite, distinct taste. And uh, I determined some time ago that Bud Light tastes like dishwater. <laughs> How did you make that determination? Did you uh, did you did well, you well, did I, you whip yourself up a I, bottle of dishwater? <laughs> dishwater. <laughs> Check well, that out. Well, I mean, there's not much taste to it. It tastes, you know, there's <clears throat> nothing to it. Yeah, I'm I'm just not a huge yeah, I'm just not a huge beer uh fan anyway. And like I said, I used to drink when I was in my twenties and even into my thirties. I haven't been a drinker for over twenty years. Like I said, I may have one or two at a special occasion per year, literally per year. Uh if I'm at a wedding yeah. or if I'm in a certain cir- circumstance. But but um yeah. I you know, I, I probably would have grabbed a Bud Light. No kidding. I probably would have because like I said, I'm not a beer connoisseur. So I don't do the yeah. um uh what do they call them? The uh uh the uh uh what are the fancy ones that, that, that craft beers? Thank you, Johnny. Craft beers. I don't do yeah. the craft beer thing, and I don't do the you know the IPAs. I can't tell much of a difference anyway. So I probably would have grabbed a Bud Light, but I'll tell you what, yeah. I, it's something I would never touch again, and that's just a personal decision because I will not support things like this. Sure. So anyway, yeah. anything else, my man? Um, uh, I guess that's it. All right. Hey, thank you, John. I appreciate it. Do me a favor. Find out how bad a beer is next time without drinking dishwater The first uh, <laughs> uh, to make that determination. Always Right presents Real American Heroes. Real American Heroes. Today, we salute you, Mr. Driving Alone with a Mask Guy. Mr. Driving Alone with a Mask Guy. Real heroes don't just wear masks when they're around other people. They cover their faces when they're riding stag on their way to work. Baby, you can't be too careful. The science may show that your tiny paper mask doesn't work worth a flip, but that doesn't stop you from strapping it on day after day, week after week. Don't you know we're in a worldwide pandemic? Besides, the world needs to know just how woke you are. Even if your common sense is passed out of the back seat like an old drunken sailor. As long as he's got his mask on, yeah. So here's to you, Mr. Driving Alone with a Mask Guy. You may indeed suffocate in your own CO2, but at least you won't get COVID right up until you do. Brought to you by Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer.
Yeah, when um, when Budweiser first came out <clears throat> with that uh, campaign, which, by the way, was one of their best ever, it was back when they actually cared about getting customers to drink their beer. Uh, it, it was re- Real American Heroes, and they did spoofs on various things, and it was really funny. And then they changed it to Real Men of Genius. Uh, and, of course, we just had a little bit of fun with it. And, by the way, I still see clowns. You still Johnny. Johnny Hiles, by the way, sang that uh, that Dale uh, Officer produced, that uh, bit that we just played for you. Uh, back in the height of the uh, idiocy of idiots in their cars by their by themselves wearing masks, as if they're afraid of I don't know giving COVID to themselves or allowing COVID viruses to come in through their car vents and into their bodies. So they're wearing their masks as they drive. But um, Johnny, do you, do you do you remember how long ago that was? Oh, probably a year ago, almost. I think oh. now. Probably about a year ago, Johnny voiced that thing. Anyway, uh, do you still see him? Anybody out there, Johnny? I, I do. saw somebody on the way to work uh, a week or two ago uh, <laughs> in, the, in the car by themselves. With Driving a solo, wearing, a, wearing one of the face masks that have been proven 100,000 different times, including acknowledged by the CDC that they do not work in preventing COVID, virus, COVID uh, particles from getting into your, into your body, or into your mouth, or into your nose, or whatever. So they're still wearing them. Oh, yeah. I look at these people, and it's, uh, it's odd. It's just odd to see. Yeah, it is. It, you know, it's kind of funny. Is I, I took a, I was sitting in a drive-through line, uh, yes, not yesterday, Tuesday. I was sitting in a drive-through line on a Wendy's, and I saw a car in front of me uh, with three bumpers or two bumper stickers and a window cling sticker. One was the Black Lives Matter sticker. The other one was a Biden Harris sticker, and the other one was a was like a pentagram, like a satanic pentagram. That was the window cling in the back, um, and up in the front. Uh, was hanging from the rearview mirror was a handicap placard. And I thought to myself, wow, I didn't know they gave out handicaps, uh, parking spaces for mental handicaps. Uh, but apparently they do. And I posted the picture. I took a picture of it because I was behind him and I'm sitting there waiting. And what do I got to do? So I posted it on my Facebook page. And one of the first things somebody asked was, is were they wearing a mask? <laughs> because it just fits. It would be so on brand for the BLM Biden Harris satanic pentagram and oh somebody else noticed the other window cling which was a little bit hard to read because of the glare the way the sun was hitting it up at the top of the uh, of the rear window and it was Smith College and if you know anything about Smith College it's it's one of those that's kind of like the Ivies but even worse in terms of its progressivism and its feminism and so forth uh and uh so anyway it's just very on brand you put all those things together and yes I was looking for a mask wear and uh driving alone in there I instantly thought of our our real american heroes uh, spoof All right um that's enough of the beer talk for now. Although it's about, like I said earlier on, much, much more than beer. It is about us doing what we have to do to try to say we're done. We're tired of this massive national trans obsession, and we're going to do something about it. And uh, that's what we're doing about it. Five to seven billion dollars of loss later, and hopefully more to come. Uh, you know, maybe they'll learn their lesson, and maybe just maybe we'll start to return to some sort of sanity. Coming, coming up after the top of the hour news, we're going to talk to our good friend Dr. Everett Piper, one of the leaders in the culture war. He's got some thoughts for us, probably on this. We talk about the ongoing trans issue every week and uh, so much more. So Dr. Piper at 1010, that's coming up on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer.
you and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob Franz on AM 1420. The answer. Onward into hour number two. Thanks so much for being with us. On Always Right Radio, good calls first hour. We'll go back to those in a bit, but uh, right now, since it is a Thursday, the 13th morning of the fourth month of the year of our Lord, 2023, you know what we do on Thursdays. We get engaged in the culture war, and we are led oftentimes by General Everett Piper, also known as Dr. Everett Piper, a former uh, university president. He is a columnist now with the Washington Times. He is a best-selling author. He is also a podcast host. Look for The Rebellion wherever it is that you get your podcast. That's Dr. Piper's. And he is also a county commissioner in his native Oklahoma. Dr. Piper, good to have you back here in Cleveland. How are you, sir? Well, uh, delighted to join you. Sorry for taking a couple weeks off. Oh, not at all. One of them was mine because I was out, and uh, last week was yours, so it's okay. It's good to get back on track now with you. There's so much to talk about. So we're going to backsell a little bit here, Dr. Piper. Rather than talking about a current event, we're going to go back to the Holy Weekend and, of course, Easter Sunday because your last column was uh, was extraordinarily important, your column about, well, the resurrection. And, uh, and, and I love the premise because some people tend to view this as something other than what it is, which is a news story. This is the number one news story, as you write, in all of recorded history. But some people look at it as a fable or as a, as a, as a fantasy or as a, you know, somebody's conspiracy, for goodness sakes. But the reality is, if you're a Christian, this is the, this is the, the number one news story in all of history. Tell us more. I, I, as you know, I wrote my column uh, preceding Easter on this very thing. I, I wanted it to be upbeat. I wanted it to be a celebration of the light, the most world-changing event that is real news. It's not fake news, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. I asked the rhetorical question, in a sense. I said, if you were to cite the most important, most life-changing, world-changing event in all of human history, what would you say? And I said, would it be the French Revolution? How about the American Revolution? How about the cultural revolution of Mao and Red China? Uh, would it be the sexual revolution of the 1960s? I mean, a lot of people would probably cite those particular events as being world-changing events that trump all others. But really, if you look at the quantitative data, if you look at the reality of today, you have 2.2 billion people worldwide who subscribe to what? Christianity. And by definition... Christianity is defined by, is grounded in, anchored in, the truth of the resurrection. It's not hyperbole, it's not a myth, it's not metaphor. We know that the resurrection was real, that Jesus did rise from the grave. How do we know that? Well, one of the earliest creeds we have, it's not the Nicene Creed, it's not the Apostles' Creed, it's not the Athanasian Creed, even though all of those are very good and important, a creed that preceded all of those by centuries was a creed that was likely written within a handful of years, literally three to five years after the events themselves. And it's cited by Paul in 1 Corinthians, where he talks about the fact that I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. This is a quote from Paul to the Church of Corinth. He said that Christ died for our sins, 
that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day. And then he appeared to Peter, and then to the Twelve, and then, listen to this one, Bob, he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. And last of all, he appeared to me. Close quote, St. Paul. What's that tell us? 500 people saw Jesus walking, talking, eating, and speaking among them after he rose from the grave. And there is no historical record at all, zero record, that any of those 500 people raised their hands and were whistleblowers and said, wait a second, this is fake news. No fact checkers, zero, saying that this story, this historical story that's cited in this creed by the Apostle Paul, that was written probably three to five years after the events themselves, nobody refutes this claim. And a lot of these people gave their lives. They suffered being impaled on pikes, sawed into two, crucified upside down, filleted alive, beheaded. They gave their lives for the veracity and the historic reality of the resurrection. So I think many of us on Easter last Sunday greeted one another with, Christ is risen, and then we respond, he is risen indeed. And, in, and that indeed is the good news of all of human history, and we just need to celebrate it and rest with confidence in that historical fact. See, I, I love the phrasing of this as a news story, because, um, well, like I said in my introduction of the topic, um, you know, the, those who are not believers, you know, believe it to be just, you know, the, uh, uh, the flying spaghetti monster is God, and, uh, you know, this, this entire thing has just been created to brainwash people and so forth, and, and, how did news stories um, from ancient Greece, how did news stories from ancient Rome, how did they become known to modern peoples? And it was um, the eyewitness testimony, and no one disputes what happened thousands of, you know, 2,000 years ago. Uh, no one disputes any of those things um, because it's recorded. It was recorded first by, by word, then it was written, and those were never questioned. Um, but yet when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to the resurrection, it was written by those who saw it firsthand. We didn't have p- cameras then, so we couldn't take pictures. We couldn't, you know, document it on, on video or audio. But what we could do was what we could do, and that was right. And that's what the Bible is, and it's what all of the writings in the letters uh, that are chronicled in the, in, in the Bible and what, are, what is written in the Gospel is all from first-hand accounts. How is it and why is it that people don't treat this like what it is? This is a true news account of what happened at the time in the same way that everything else that happened in the ancient world is accepted as fact because people wrote it down as it happened. Well... I really, I, I've gone back to C.S. Lewis's admonition time and time again. I've done it on your show. When he scolds us, you and me and everybody that's alive today, he scolds uh, baby boomers, Gen Zers, he scolds millennials. C.S. Lewis warned us to get rid of our chronological snobbery and to stop thinking that our new ideas are so much better than those ideas that have stood the test of time. Well, what has stood the test of time more than any other idea in the course of human history, if you want to measure it by 2.2 billion people still believing and claiming the veracity of this news story today? The information, the news, the story that has stood the test of time more than any other is the story of the resurrection. Christ the Lord is risen today. I mean, this is an old hymn. Sons of men and angels say, raise your joys and triumphs high, sing ye heavens and earth reply, hallelujah. Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. It has been proven over and over and over again for some 2,000 years, 
And it wasn't just the 12 that made the claim. You know, the Da Vinci Code, Dan Brown, everybody says the church made this up and the 12 made it up or whoever made it up. No, you had 500 people cited by Paul in this letter to Corinth that said they saw it. And nobody was raising their hand and saying, oh, no, this is fabrication. This is political spin. No, instead of raising their hands, they raised their heads and lost their heads for the sake of this story. It's real. You know, um, again, furthering the the connection to modern-day journalism, you know, modern-day journalists who cover a story and get 500 people to acknowledge what they saw and, to, and with no one to dissent, it would be reported as fact. Um, it wouldn't be reported as just, you know, somebody's v- version of something. 500 people, that's called corroboration. That's multiple eyewitnesses. In fact, taking it from the journalistic realm to the courtroom. If 500 witnesses came before a judge and swore this is exactly what they saw, it would be regarded as fact in the eyes of virtually every and any jury. And yet, people still question, or people still dispute, and people simply do not want to believe, perhaps for their own uh, for their own purposes, uh, ideological and, and or, your, or, or, or political. Yes, sir, go ahead. And to make your point, it's excellent. <clears throat> I didn't think of it that way, but you just spurred me to make this last comment. Can you imagine, let's, let's go to the left and the people that think Donald Trump should be hang, hung out to dry for whatever this indictment coming out of New York City claims he's done. Well, let's say that they could find 500 people to come in and testify that, yeah, Donald Trump illegally paid Stormy Daniels this money. 500 people saying, yeah, we know it. We know it. We've heard him say it. We've got a recording. We know that Donald Trump committed this crime. Do you think there's a snowball chance in Texas that, that anybody anybody would find Donald Trump innocent of this particular accusation. No. I mean, if you got 500 people verifying that the indictment is legit and that they have proof they saw it, they witnessed him doing this bad thing, he would go to jail. And he should. But yet we've got 500 people on the positive side of a news story that has changed the course of human events like no other, and we have skeptics. It makes no sense. This is real news. It's not fake. Without question, one of my favorite columns that you have written in your years with the Washington Times. I really enjoyed that one, and I appreciate the discussion of it. We'll take a time out here, Dr. Piper. We'll come back, and we're going to talk about, well, what are we calling Dylan Mulvaney? The face of a nation in moral freefall? Well, that's what William Wolfe is calling it. We're going to discuss it next on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 1021 now. Always Right Radio continues with Dr. Everett Piper on AM 1420, The Answer. Dr. Piper, I spent the first hour of my show talking about Anheuser-Busch, Bud Light. Uh, they have lost anywhere, depending on which report you read, between 5 and $7 billion in the two weeks since they announced their little... Uh, sponsorship and partnership with Dylan Mulvaney, the little femboy who has decided that if he dresses like a girl and tucks himself down between his legs and then says lots of women have bulges, um, that he can influence a whole lot of people. As a matter of fact, he is a social media influencer that was so popular, he got a uh, uh, an interview with President Joe Biden at the White House, uh, got on the Drew Barrymore podcast show or whatever it is, and got her to bow before him at his feet. Um, this guy is everywhere, and um, what does it mean? This uh, article that you shared with me, and I'm glad you did, uh, from StandingForFreedom.com by William Wolf. Wolf uh, is headlined, Dylan Mulvaney is the face of a nation in moral freefall. I couldn't say that any better. How do you say it? Uh, 
there's so many, I, I know you've talked about an hour, and I, maybe people are sick of talking about this guy. Well, we're sick of seeing way. this guy. We're sick of seeing his face everywhere. He records everything he does 24-7 on his cell phone and then posts it. You can't turn on a social media feed, any of them really, without seeing him doing his, his goofy little things. And that's what I think people are just so disgusted by, uh, is he doesn't realize it. He doesn't realize how reviled he is. Maybe $7 billion of losses for Anheuser-Busch might be a, a clue to him, but I apologize for interrupting. Go ahead. No, it's... I, maybe the right way for me to respond is ask the question, how did we get here? And I blame the schools. I blame the churches. And frankly, I blame helicopter parenting. Any parent that would affirm their son it, for behaving this way is a very bad parent. If you've got a son that's acting this way, you confront him, you challenge him, you discipline, you tell him to stop. Why? Because it's wrong. You're mocking women. You're making fun of females. You're suggesting that this is the way all women act and look. You're black-facing women, just like racists used to black-face African-Americans by exaggerating their mannerisms, dressing up in exaggerated costume with exaggerated makeup, and you're making fun of people. This is wrong. This is immoral. It's unethical. It is exactly like black-facing African-Americans, you're black-facing women. It's misogynistic. There is nothing more insulting to a woman than to tell her she doesn't exist. And the only way you can define what a woman is is by somebody's feelings rather than the biological reality and the facts of what a woman is, what a real female is. The women in our culture right now, the 50% of our population that is female, objectively so, biologically so, physiologically so, genetically so. The 50% of the American population that is female should be rising up in unison and saying, stop it. This is insulting to us. You're taking our bathrooms away. You're taking our showers away. You're taking our sports away. You're taking our dignity and our very identity away from us. This is anti-woman. You can't be a feminist if you deny the feminine, if you deny the reality of the female. This is what we should all, whether you're a Christian or an atheist, this is what we should all be saying right now in unison, because we should be defending women, not degrading them, maligning them, and mocking them, which is exactly what Dylan Mulvaney is doing. And last, I mean, this ties into another post by William Wolfe, where he shares the data on the increase in the percentage of adults in the United States right now that identify as LGBTQ. It has gone from, oh, what was it? It was slightly above uh, 7%, 5%, whatever it was back in 2014. And today, just for Gen Zers alone, 19.7% of Gen Zers, those born in between 1997 and 2004, those Gen Zers in the United States of America 20% of them, if you round it up, 20% of them, 20%, I'm going to say it one more time, identify as LGBTQ. How in the world did we get from just over 5% to 20% today? This is directly the result of terrible education and indoctrination in our schools. And parents, listen to me on this. You're going to have 20% of your grandkids and nieces and nephews. The number's going to go up. You're going to have a quarter of your nieces and nephews, grandchildren, and your children identifying with this broken, sinful ideology if you don't get your kids out of these schools. 
Um, Dr. Piper, there's a lot there. Um, it's a social contagion. It's in addition to being the schools, it is, it, it, it is the social influencers like Dylan Mulvaney that they wanted to try to sell beer. They're trying to sell sports bras. They're trying to sell tampons through because he can sell himself as being a, a female to, uh, you know, a bunch of willing, you know, uh, um, robots, I guess, uh, who want to see exactly what they want to see. But as evidence of it being a social contagion, I want to read a very quick uh, post from somebody who is described as r slash trans um, who asked this question on Twitter this was posted by the Twitter account males in disguise and the question that the individual wrote is can you suddenly become transgender so let me read this to you and get your response hey guys so three days ago I was scrolling Twitter and stumbled across stumbled upon Chris from mr. Beast's videos and saw that they were on HRT which I think is hormone replacement therapy when I saw that post I got a sudden signal from my brain that said you're trans now the thought had been haunting me since that moment. I don't know what to do. I never had any thoughts on the topic before. I'm pretty progressive, and I watch progressive content creators, and I have many LGBT friends, trans people included, and have listened to podcasts with trans people as well. But I never had such a thought and felt pretty good with my body and who I am. I don't feel good with this idea. I don't feel like it's mine. It feels like an alien body taking over mine. Has anyone else felt this before? I will be very thankful for your help. So, so Dr. Piper, here's a person who literally just described what social contagion means. I am not, never felt any problem with my body, but I'm hearing all of these people telling me I should rethink my body, and now I feel like I have to do that. That's what I read. What did you hear? Absolutely. I, I go back to a book I've cited on your show multiple times, and that's Richard Weaver's 1948 seminal work titled Ideas Have Consequences. And I've said before, you don't have to even crack open the cover. You just read what's on the cover, and you know what his point is. Good ideas, good culture, good kids, good community, good country, good church, good culture. But bad ideas, you get the opposite. We have terrible ideas that we've been teaching our kids for multiple uh, decades now, and those ideas are coming home to roost. Essentially, it's porn fatigue is what it is. We know that this is a psychological reality. When you consume too much porn, you need, you need more aggressive uh, stimulation. We know that. It was even an episode of L.A. Law back in the day of some sexual uh, crimes being committed because of porn fatigue. Even they recognized that this was a problem. Well, because we've become a society that's addicted to porn, both visually and otherwise, I mean, in other words, ideologically we're addicted to porn, we're now reaching for the next level of stimulation, the next level of grotesque behavior and imagery. And it's this trans ideology where we're actually butchering the body because of our porn fatigue, because you can't get satiated with the lesser uh, kinds of pornography, ideologically or pictorially, any longer. We are a culture that's in a contagion, a psychological, spiritual contagion, because of fatigue with minor sins, if you will. And I wouldn't call them minor, but they become so much. They they seem less significant now because of the aggressive nature of what we're doing. Doctor Piper, last thing for you, and we'll have to talk about this next week. But I just wanted to throw it to you when you use the word um, uh, butchering. Uh, another word would be mutilation. And in Washington State, they just passed a bill, Senate Bill 5599, called gender-affirming care for minors. This grants minors the right to transition, to become physically mutilated without their parents' consent or knowledge. 
And if your child wants to do this and runs away from home because you won't let them do it, the state is not legally bound to disclose to the parents where the child is. The state now owns our children, at least up in Washington State. So that's something to think about and pray on because uh, we'll discuss it next week. Dr. Everett Piper, thank you, sir. All right. Bless you. Bye-bye. It's 1031. We'll come back after the break on AM 1420, The Answer. You deserve a fair price. The Bullington Capital Report. You know, there are an awful lot of people that go through life that are really good memorizers. Not so much on the critical thinking part where you have to break it down yourself and figure out what answers are when the answers are in the books. It really is difficult to know. Because if you just memorize the answers when you come up to a situation where there hasn't been an answer written down yet because nobody's had to stop and figure it out, you can have a problem. Saturday mornings at 11 on AM 1420. The Answer. And Odyssey. Keeping you informed among the uninformed. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. 1038 now. Thanks again to Dr. Everett Piper. Good stuff. As we fight the culture war. That um, that last, the very last uh, uh, story that I mentioned to him that we couldn't really discuss. Let me just give you some of the details. If you're looking for, I don't know, uh, a definition of the word disturbing, uh, this one might this one might provide it. Um, what's happening is that in Washington State, there is a bill that has been sent to the desk of the far-left Governor Jay Inslee there, Senate Bill 5599 that passed. It's called Gender Affirming Care for Minors. It grants minors a right to transition from one gender to another with full-on chemical castration, puberty blockers, uh, bodily mutilation, the whole nine yards, without parents say so, without parental consent or even knowledge. It will now be a crime, according to this bill, if a parent doesn't allow their minor child to change genders. And according to the report, it gets worse than that. If the child asks mom and dad to switch genders, and the mom and dad rightly, correctly evaluate the situation and says, you're eight, you don't know what you're doing, you're going to grow out of whatever weird little phase you're having right now, of course you're not going to the doctor to change your gender, and the child gets mad and runs away from home. If the state of Washington finds out the whereabouts of the child, the state is not legally bound to disclose that location to the parents. And one could reasonably say this means the, the state now owns your child. Katie Daviscourt reported on this. She's a journalist based in Seattle, Washington, so this is, of course, in her backyard. Here is a report from the Liberty Daily. In a sane world, shelters that house children would only keep children away from their parents if they were being abused. This is no longer a sane world, especially in Democrat hellholes like Washington State. There, the legislature just passed a bill that would force shelters to hide runaway children from parents who don't want them to, quote, transition. In other words, any parent who doesn't want their child to engage in genital mutilation is treated the same as those committing actual child abuse. And any child that does want to mutilate their body simply needs to run away, and the state will aid and abet them in their permanent decision. 
This is, again, Washington State Bill 5999. Democrats passed it. Critics say it encourages minors to run away from home to receive, quote, gender-affirming, which is the euphemism, the gentle euphemism for bodily mutilation and maternity services as well, without parental consent and at taxpayer expense. It was sponsored by the far-left Marxist Democrat State Senator Marco Lias, which would uh, this bill now allow shelters and uh, host homes to provide housing for runaway minors without being required to notify their parents if they have a compelling reason to keep the information a secret. They actually passed this thing, and I'm looking at some of the advertising that they used for it, the Senate Democrats in the state of Washington. They're bragging about it. Tonight we passed SB 5599 to ensure at-risk youth have access to shelter when when seeking gender-affirming or reproductive care. Trans youth have been under a nationwide attack, but WALEG, whatever that is, uh, WALEG continues to fight. Oh, I guess it must mean the Washington legislature continues to fight for trans rights. And there's a little ad here, supporting youth and young adults seeking protected health care services. I'm going to forever not understand how it can be considered health care to cut off a healthy human organ or body part. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to understand how any doctor, any surgeon who takes a Hippocratic oath and, and vows to do no harm can harm somebody in such a permanent, barbaric way as to cut off uh, a teenage girl's breasts. Healthy organs, free of cancer. We're not talking about mastectomies that are done for actual health care. Because of breast cancer, even even if there is just a chance that somebody, because of um, uh Heredity and genetic genetic history with parent or grandparent, mother, grandmother having uh, breast cancer. Sometimes women will choose to have a double mastectomy simply to prevent the prospect of having cancer develop in their breast, spread to their bodies, and kill them. That's a different story. We're talking about this for the for the psychological delusion of the kid cutting off healthy organs, cutting off healthy organs uh, down below. They call that bottom surgery by removing the penis and testicles of a biological male that are perfectly healthy. What doctor would do this? And what kind of barbaric legislature would say this should be done without parental consent if the kid that we wouldn't even trust to make a good decision on on, on whether or not they want to have sex? That's right. It's still considered statutory rape for, for a kid under 16 in most states to engage in sex if the... Uh, if the um, uh, the other party is over over 18. They're not allowed to give consent because they're too young and too immature to know whether or not that's something they really want to do. But yet we're going to allow them to do this. It's remarkable. And going back to the other story that I brought up with Dr. Um, uh, Dr. Everett Piper, if anybody ever uh, in your conversations about this ma- these matters, you know, if you engage in political or societal issues at work or around the dinner table or with family or whomever. If they don't understand what social contagion contagion means, you need to find my Twitter feed, France Rants, F-R-A-N-T-Z, R-A-N-T-Z. And I think I have it on my Facebook page, too, which I usually make public. 
But you need to find this and share this with them, what a social contagion is. People think, people hear the word contagion, and they think that we are saying that becoming trans is contagious, that it's like a, it's like a, uh, a germ or a virus that can be transmitted. No, 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 no. Social is the operative word here. Social contagions are things that make people, because of their prominence on social media and in social circles among groups of friends, it's kind of related to peer pressure, but it's something that people would never have thought about doing to themselves, but they see a bunch of other people doing it, and then they become intrigued enough to want to consider it themselves. That's what a social contagion is. And so many of us have been trying to point out that the trans movement in this country this massive agenda where legislators are doing what I just described in Washington State and similar things are being done in other states, um, it is not an actual spread of gender dysphoria. It's not an actual increase in the number of people who literally have a psychological function, or not a function, a psychological delusion or a disorder called gender dysphoria where their mind doesn't match what their body is. Those things happen. Those things are very, very rare, however. Less than one half of 1% of the population has gender dysphoria. Just like a similar percentage of the population has split personality disorder or multiple personality disorder, where they think they're more than one person. These are very, very rare. So how is it that, as Dr. Piper just said, that now 20% of the population is identifying as LGBTQ with the largest and fastest growing of all of those letters being the T, the trans? How can that be? The answer is the social contagion. And this online post by a very confused and potentially, dare I say, endangered individual um, is asking if someone can just suddenly become transgender when they never thought they were before because of the social culture around them. Listen to this again. Hey, guys, so three days ago, and then it says I, a 23-year-old male, three days ago I was scrolling Twitter and stumbled upon, uh, upon Chris from Mr. Beast's videos and saw that they, with a question mark, like am I making sure to give the right pronoun here, they, and saw that they were on HRT. That stands for Hormone Replacement Therapy. When I saw that post, I got a sudden signal from my brain that said, you're trans now. The thought has been haunting me since that moment. I don't know what to do. I never had any thoughts on the topic before. I'm pretty progressive and watch progressive content creators and have many LGBT friends, trans people included, and have listened to podcasts with trans people as well. But I never had such a thought, and I felt pretty good with my body and who I am. I don't feel good with this idea. I don't feel like it's mine. It feels like an alien body taking over mine. Has anyone ever felt like this before? It will be very, I will be very thankful for your help. And that's the end of the post. This is social contagion. This person felt totally fine with who and what they are, but listening to progressive content, progressive podcasts, trans podcasts, LGBTQ podcasts, and other content creators has made them question, am I supposed to be like that too? 
Now this person is questioning whether or not they should go on hormone replacement therapy. Stop. He's 23 years old. Stop being who and what he is and what he was made by God as and try to become some sort of laboratory experiment because he's hearing a lot of people that he listens to talking about it and doing it. And now he thinks, I'm trans now. That's a social contagion. And quite frankly, while I defend and always will the First Amendment as being just you know paramount to the American Republic, um, this type of language is dangerous. It is encouraging people to mutilate themselves, to harm themselves. That's a social contagion. And if anybody doesn't see the danger in that, and if anybody doesn't understand why we cannot plaster the faces of little femboys like Dylan Mulvaney on beer cans and put them on billboards and to put them on T-shirts and to put them on bumper stickers and to bring them to rooms full of children and allow them to dance and to read and to indoctrinate and groom them in the same perverse lifestyles that they have chosen by themselves to lead, If you don't see the danger in that, you really need to get away from children altogether. You're going to do them more harm than good. You might even do yourself more harm than good. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. I've got one more piece of audio to share on this story right now. This is South Park. I used to watch South Park 25 years ago. That's how long it's been on. No kidding. It's been on since, what, the late 90s. Uh, I used to watch South Park. It's been a long, 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 long time since I found it funny. But I want to play a one-minute clip for you from South Park that's not funny. But it is um, illustrative of the reality um, that we're facing right now. It uses absurdity to illustrate the point. This is exactly, this This to me is the most clear articulation of the myth of transgenderism and the myth of the phrase, trans women are real women, phrase that we are forced to take and accept. And we're supposed to celebrate. We're supposed to believe that, that Dylan Mulvaney a biological male with male genitalia tucked beneath his legs with tape, or between his legs with tape, while he tries to wear a bikini, we're supposed to believe that's a real female. This little one-minute South Park clip of a biological male named Mr. Garrison going to the doctor, to me, illustrates and articulates the point about what a myth this whole thing is that we're all being forced to play along with. Um, I think it does it better than anything I've heard so far. Listen. Hello, doctor. It looks like I need an abortion. An abortion? Yeah, I've got one growing inside me. Now, you're going to scramble its brains or just vacuum it out? If you want, you can just scramble it and I'll queef it out myself. Mr. Garrison. Mrs. Garrison. Mrs. Garrison, you can't have an abortion. Don't you tell me what I can and can't do with my body. A woman has a right to choose. No, I mean you're physically unable to have an abortion because you can't get pregnant. But I missed my period. You can't have periods either. You had a sex change, Mr. Garrison, but you don't have ovaries or a womb. You don't produce eggs. 
You mean, I'll never know what it feels like to have a baby growing inside me and then scramble its brains and vacuum it out? That's right. But I paid $5,000 to be a woman. This would mean I'm not really a woman. I'm just a, I'm just a guy with a mutilated penis. Basically, yes. Oh, boy, do I feel like a jackass. Okay, 10.56. Got time for a call or two here before the top of the hour. We'll uh, go out to Hudson. Gina, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Gina, go ahead. Hi, thanks so much for taking my call. Listen, I was thinking a lot about, and I have been thinking a lot about this evil of what uh, described as transgenderism and the explosion of it. And it made me think a lot about when I was young, growing up in the 70s and 80s, and, uh, you know, we were inundated with the social contagion then of Glamour Magazine and Seventeen and rail-thin models and... uh, Hollywood stars that would lose weight rapidly down to, you know, 96, 98 pounds. And we had a famous singer named Karen Carpenter who died of what then was diagnosed as anorexia, something nobody had ever heard of. An explosion at that point came out of the woodwork of women and young girls having anorexia. How do we deal with that? The medical community saw this as exactly what it was a dysphoria of the mind, of, mm-hmm. of, of an eating disorder, in how our mind perceives ourselves when they looked in the mirror. We didn't just say, hey, keep getting thin because that's acceptable. We went and we applied real true medical um, processes to get these girls healthy again. Do you hear very much about anorexia anymore? You don't. Well, it's not. It's it's not. It's well. You, you. It's still there. There are still women with yes. eating disorders I and girls, but it's not. Right. It's not public anymore because it's not a story no. anymore because it's not as widespread. You're right, and because it's been treated properly. Social, right. We also changed the social contagion. We have yes. plus size models. We have chubby models. We have all kinds of beautiful women in all kinds of shapes and sizes and colors and and ethnic uh, backgrounds, and so it became acceptable. To be these things, but for a while, the social contagion was the way it was treated, and then there mm-hmm. was the very big explosion of of girls, you know, spot following on. that social contagion. Yeah. You're spot on, Gina. I'm so glad you called. Thank you for that. And and of course, the follow up to that is, you know, what what we've many of us have said in in the in the last few months about this is, no doctor ever looked at a girl with anorexia. And said, yeah, um, if you really believe you're fat, we'll believe you're fat too. Let's do liposuction on you. Nobody ever said, let's physically mutilate your body so that it matches what your mind is telling you. Your mind is telling you you're fat. Okay, we'll believe your mind and we'll, we'll, we'll ravage your body by giving it lip- liposuction. No doctor has ever done that. But that's what they're doing with trans your mind tells you you're not a girl and you're actually a boy, okay, we will cut off your breasts and we'll physically mutilate you to make your mind happier. It just, yeah, it's a great analogy. Thank you so much, Gina. We'll be back after the news. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by KeepingMedicareSimple.com and The Floor King. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? 
Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three underway now, 10 minutes past 11 o'clock. Good morning. Thank you for being with us. Thanks to my guest, Dr. Edward Piper. Thanks to some very astute phone callers. Thanks to you just for listening. Whether you listen for 10 minutes or for all three hours every day, it is appreciated. Uh, I certainly also appreciate when you do want to weigh in. I have a very, very intelligent audience. I feel that way. I said the same thing to Dennis Prager's audience, too, yesterday when I hosted for Dennis. And, and I don't say that to suck up to the audience. I say that to basically request your assistance. And and I think it's um, I don't think it's an accident that we have very intelligent, astute audiences who listen to programs like this one, and Dennis Prager's, and Doctor Gorka's, and and Hugh Hewitt's, and all the ones that I that I guest host for. Um, I think I think people of uh, of intellect, and I don't mean education, I mean intellect and common sense, are drawn to programs like this. So anyway, my point is. Um, I really, really enjoy the interaction. I enjoy learning from and getting great ideas from great people. Uh, I, you know, I do like to educate. I'm a teacher by nature. It's what I started out as before I got into broadcasting. Uh, I taught for six years, and uh, I do like to educate and I do like to lecture. But boy, I also like to learn. So make sure you uh, you keep that up. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five and triple eight two eight one eleven ten. So there's a battle right now going on in the uh, state of Ohio. <clears throat> as you well know, over the uh, possibility uh, through HDR1 of changing or amending the Ohio Constitution with the purpose of making it harder to change or amend the Ohio Constitution. We're hoping to have a special election in August, one in which we can indeed uh, vote to raise the threshold to change the, uh, uh, to, uh, change the Constitution by way of a ballot initiative, an amendment, from 50% to 60%. And the reason it's so important to do in August is come November, if we don't, all it's going to do is take 50% plus one vote of what is very likely to be a, a relatively small turnout um, to change the Constitution and allow abortion to become embedded in it forever. Uh, and not only abortion, but also a stripping of parents' rights when it comes to protecting their children from those who are trying to, uh, uh, you know, indoctrinate them into a gender transition. All of these things, so crucially important. But, but specifically abortion being embedded into the Ohio Constitution is a real threat. It's a real problem. And one of the things that we need to do is open up the eyes of people who don't understand what it really is. And that's my back, or my, uh, uh, my backgrounder, I guess, if you will, for Jerry Serino Jr., who's going to join us now to talk about what he's doing to open the eyes of people, particularly young people, particularly young adults in our colleges and universities. He's on a statewide tour of Ohio colleges to try to tell them the truth about abortion. 
That's literally the headline of the event, The Truth About Abortion, Exposing the Lies of the Left. His next one is coming up on Monday, and it's at, uh, I believe it's at Bowling Green State University. Let's welcome Jerry Serino back to our program. It's been a long time since we've talked to you here. Jerry, thank you so much for the time. How are you? Hey, good, good, Bob. Thanks so much for having me. So um, I, I kind of gave the backgrounder there because of the crucial nature of, of uh, getting an August special election, something that the current Speaker of the Ohio House of Representatives is opposed to. Um, we can sit here and speculate as to the reasons why, but if we don't make it harder to change the Constitution this August, this November, um, I, I, I fear that there is going to be a very, very destructive moment, and I mean very destructive to the tune of twenty, thirty thousand abortions in the state of Ohio per year, uh, is going to be the result. Is that the reason you're going to colleges right now, Jerry? It certainly is. I think the timing um, really, really of this, these votes and what's going on in Ohio made this um, a priority for me. Um, but also, just to as you as you stated so well, is to educate. The young people, certainly everybody can be educated because these young people have been lied to um, specifically about abortion. And I'm just bringing them the truth. You know, the people that are on their side have been lying to them and using and manipulating them. And again, all people, even non-college students uh, on this issue. And I'm the one and our side is the one shows like yours are the only ones telling them the truth. And that's what I want to do for these young people. Yeah, it's um, it's it's an uphill fight um, because what they get from the mainstream media when it comes to abortion and what they get from social media, certainly when they come to abortion, um, it is, uh, you know, it is it is a promotion of this this barbaric practice as health care, as reproductive rights, as liberty. This is what you deserve as a free American to do whatever you want with your body, and to to try to counteract that message um, is very very difficult when you can't control social media and you can't control the mainstream media. So you're doing the next best thing. You're going face to face. You're taking these people on. Can you tell me how these? How many events have you been to thus far, and how many more do you have planned, Jerry? Sure. So um, so let's start with your latter question. So I I've done um, I, my the first one I did last month was at Kent State University. The okay. next one is Monday, the the seventeenth uh, of April at Bowling Green State University. And um, I have, uh, since it's the end of the school year, uh, I'm really scheduling these for the, more for the fall. So mm-hmm. um, University of Dayton in the fall, Cleveland State University in the fall, and then I'm working on a number of others just trying to coordinate the dates. Um, but, you, you know, going to, to them, you know, I use PowerPoint. I use an actual PowerPoint with slides, with quotes, with images, really good images to make the points because I think it's certainly as helpful for anybody, but especially young people who, who I think need that. They need it there. I cite all of my information. So I tell them, Hey, you don't have to believe me. Go ahead. And here's where I cite the information that I got. Um, and you're welcome to, to do that. But I, I want people that don't agree with me there. Right. I, that is very important to me because I want them to ask the questions. I want them to see this information. And, um, you know, even if I don't expect, look, I don't expect anyone to change after my talk, right? But maybe there's something. Maybe I plant a seed somewhere in them, 
and they realize the truth and they realize that they've been lied to. And maybe it's years down the road that they change. That's my only hope. So tell me how this goes for you. Do you do you have to contact the universities ahead of time to get a permit? Are you being invited by conservative groups or pro-life groups to speak? Are you in lecture halls? Are you on quads? Like where where, where are these? Yeah. You know, what's the logistics of this? Sure, yeah, great question. So I'm actually working through uh, Students for Life. So they're, they're such a great, great organization. You and I had the privilege of, of uh, listening to Kristen Hawkins, the <clears throat> president of Students for Life at the – uh, the recent Cleveland pro-life event um, that uh, that we just had, and um, they're they're working. I, I have the the local the Ohio rep, the Ohio regional person for Students for Life that that has reached out to the um, the various heads of the schools, um, right to life or uh, Students for Life groups, and they just simply get permits. Um, and they just have to ask for the a room. We do it in one, usually in, you know, the uh, just in one of the rooms that they have. The mm-hmm. that they hold all sorts of things. To their credit, to the credit of Kent State and Bowling Green, we had no issue getting um, getting approval. It was very quick and easy. Um, so, but Kent, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I'm glad to hear you say that. To their credit, you had no issue with getting approval. But what about issue with protesters? You know, we've seen uh, yeah. people like Ben Shapiro and Michael Knowles and Stephen Crowder and others going to college campuses, Charlie Kirk, to share messages like these. And, um, and you know the drill. You see it all the time. We you know, Smashing and, and protesting and pounding and shouting and so forth. Are you, uh, first of all, at your first one at Kent State, did you experience any of that? And are you concerned about that in any of the other future? Uh, uh, campus visits you have planned? Sure. So there were protesters at Kent State. Um, some of them came in and sat. And again, to their credit, they were they were great. We invited all the protesters to come in. Uh, again, some did, some didn't. The ones that remained outside, they just held signs and they were peaceful. So to their credit, I was really grateful for that and you know appreciative that they at least showed some maturity. Um, so the one I'm going to at Bowling Green, I was warned that it could get rough there. Um, again, I'm hoping that they're at, they're at least you know decent. Um, but um, you know, if it happens, it happens, and and I actually anticipate it at some point. Um, and you know, at that point, I I, I am not going to back down. I'm not going to leave. I'm not going to not give the talk. That'll actually encourage me even more and embolden me to do the talk and to do more. Do you find yourself, we're talking with Jerry Serino Jr. If you just turned us on, uh, Jerry is doing some some very important work. He's taking a message directly to college students uh, who are voters, uh, who are going to be crucial in this upcoming ballot initiative that we have to defeat that's going to likely be on the ballot in November um, that is going to embed abortion into the Ohio Constitution. So he's taking this message of, of pro-life uh, and facts to these college students going around the, uh, the state. He's going to be at Bowling Green this coming month. Monday at 6 p.m. at BTSU 315. That's the room where it's going to be held. Do you find yourself, Jerry, changing any minds? Uh, are, are there people debating you that you are able to win over, or is it pretty much speaking to people who already get it, the pro-lifers who invite you? Well, so the event at Kent State, I, I had about half the people there were appeared to be pro-life, the other half not. not. So it was about 50-50. The only questions I got were from the pro-abortion side. 
they, they were the only ones that had questions. Um, I did a couple things that I noticed. One, I, there were a number of young men that were there and they were very attentive and they came up and talked to me afterwards and were very grateful. And that told, told me a lot that I think that there, these, there are plenty of young men, college, even high school age, that feel maybe they're not allowed to talk about this. They're not allowed to have the opinions that they have. And I think that this is what they were hungry for. I did have one individual who was a protester who came in and sat in the back and stayed the whole time. Uh, she, she, I felt like, honestly, I felt like her eyes were on me the whole time I presented. She was there early. She was one of the very first people, sat in the back, um, didn't ask any questions. Um, but afterwards, she waited around for me for quite a while, and I was thinking, oh, boy, this could be interesting. And she just said to me, she said, you know, I actually, I'm on the other side, but I really appreciate the way you presented. I really appreciate it. And um, and I said, she's like, you were very civil, you were very open and understanding. And I said, I think we're all like this. You're probably only told that people on my side are, are crazies. And of course, we're not. You know, all those people that you named, you know, the Ben Shapiro's and uh, Charlie Kirk, they're all very, very civil and polite to uh, their audiences. All of us are. And, um, and, and, you know, I didn't change her mind, but I think I planted that seed. And that's the only thing I can hope for. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, you can't imagine, you can't, you know, expect to work miracles there and say, okay, I was pro-choice before I got here, now I'm pro-life. Uh, <laughs> that's as, but yeah. give them something to think about and ask that they go and think about it. And if they happen to be people of faith, do a little bit of praying on it and find out. Um, you know, uh, may, maybe that is something that can grow. So I completely agree. What are you going to do, though, if they get if they do get uncivil? Um, you know, because you're right. One, You know, the other individuals that I mentioned who have been doing things like this, are very see. I can never do it because I get aggressive. I get aggressive and I respond to aggression with aggression. It's uh, I, I don't know. It's the toxic masculinity in me. I guess whatever. Um, but but they do. They they disarm these people oftentimes with staying calm while the other ones get angry. Um, but but on the flip side, you, oftentimes you can't be heard over the over the anger and mm-hmm. over the shouts and so on and so forth. So have you thought about that? You know, because you you have at least three, four, five more of these things planned between now and uh, you know in, and in the fall uh, before November. So uh, how do you how do you get the message across while remaining calm if they're the ones who are going to get aggressive? Yeah. So. Thankfully, as I said, I haven't had any of that yet, but I think, you know, we all saw Kristen Hawkins and Isabel Brown, who were doing a speech, I think in Virginia, in which they got, you know, yelled at and Mm -hmm. shouted down, and I think they were blowing whistles. Um, You know, I I think in just in, in, if that were to happen to me, um, you know, I, I would probably try, I might do what you do at some point, I might just say, okay, enough is enough you're out of here. <laughs> and, you know, but I, I'm, I, I'm not sure. Um, I would probably have to call uh, security to get them out. Um, but what they want is for you to go away. And that I mm-hmm. won't do. I'll wait until things are in a better situation, and then I'll give my talk. And that's probably what I would do. Um, if we expect that type of thing, then I would probably ask for someone from security to at least be there. 
Jerry Serino Jr. is my guest. Last thing for you, Jerry, this slideshow that you do, um, tell me about it. Is it the graphic pictures of aborted babies that we have all seen that oftentimes get banned on social media as being too, you know, too hard to look at? But of course, that's the point. That's why we want people to look at it so you can see what's being done. I mean, are you showing those kinds of things or are they more instructive or what does the slideshow entail? Sure. So the slideshow, I actually posted um, my actual presentation from Kent State. Uh, on my podcast, which I'm also now on uh, on the answer, I'm on uh, WHK as as well. And uh, but but it's there are some of those, not too many, but it's it's graphics of uh, facts, you know, showing how many uh, crisis pregnancy centers are out there, you know, thousands and thousands compared to the Planned Parenthoods, right? The I'm giving the data. On, on that's out there. I'm showing graphs. I'm showing quotes from Margaret Sanger. Um, I'm showing some ultrasounds. I'm showing images of what a baby looks like at seven weeks and 12 weeks um, at conception and so on. And and I think that those are hopefully very powerful in that, that, you know, it shows the truth right in front of you. You can see it. You can see what a baby looks like at seven weeks, for example. Um, and so it, it's been really powerful. I do show some of the you know, awful pictures, and I actually finish with that because I say this is at the end of the day what it's all about. Um, this is whatever side you're on. This is what happens when an abortion takes place, and they have to see that. Jerry Serino Jr. Uh, doing some incredibly important work. All is this all on your own? Was this your own brainchild? Do you have an organization you're working with? I know you said you're invited by uh, uh, the the, uh, the Students for Life Pro Life group, but um, uh, is this just your own thought? It, it is. It was. It was my own thought. It's just something I kind of put together on my you know on the weekends and evenings, and uh, it's just something I wanted to do. And again, thankfully, Students for Life has been really supportive. And um, and helping me to get this going. That's awesome. That's awesome. That, that that's really truly inspired, uh, uh, Jerry. And I'm so uh, happy to help you promote it. Um, if anybody is listening, if you are a parent, maybe of a Bowling Green student or somebody, they don't have to be students to attend, right? I assume people can nope, come in from the community. Can come. Anyone yeah. is welcome to come. Yeah, I want to throw that out there. Bowling Green on Monday, 6 p.m., BTSU room 315 is what it says. Uh, so I, I strongly encourage people to do that. Uh, we'll have Jerry back on when he's going to have other events at Cleveland State and Dayton and uh, Miami and some of the other universities that he's talking about. Jerry Serino, Jr., obviously you've got good genes. Uh, your, pro-life, uh, your pro-life roots run very, very deep. I'm so uh, happy and proud of you for doing this. That's not for my place to call myself proud of you, but I'm just proud to, to know that somebody uh, like you is out there doing this great work, and I'm happy to support you in any way that I can. So, Jerry, thanks very much. Yeah, thank you, Bob, and it means a lot coming from you. Appreciate you it. it. Thank you, my friend. That's Jerry Serino Jr. is going to be at Bowling Green spreading the message of life on Monday. If you can get out there, if you happen to be in that area or if your kids are, uh, maybe you can encourage them to, uh, to uh, participate. It's 1128. We'll be back on Always Right Radio. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. Um, 
I, I wasn't really going to do this, um, but I just noticed it in my email, and I want to do this. Um, I was going to talk to you about Utah for a moment uh, to wrap. I'm going to do both, I guess. I'm going to squeeze both these things in. Listen, yesterday on the Prager Show, I did a more extended version of what we talked about on this show um, when I talked about you know how Gen Z is being grabbed up by the left. Um, they're being indoctrinated every at every level, from preschool to primary grades to middle school to high school to university level. They're being uh, indoctrinated by the legacy media, mainstream media, and social media. And so I asked the question, and I talked about this again in depth on Prager, and just briefly here, how do we combat that? If we don't have any of those platforms, how do we combat that? And the answer is, one we don't want to hear because it involves a lot of work. And the answer is you. You are how we combat that as a parent. Mom, dad, or maybe if you're grandma or grandpa and you have access to those grandchildren of yours, it involves us telling what Paul Harvey used to call the rest of the story. Tell them the other side of the story. Tell them. Find out what they're being taught in their classes. Find out what they're watching on their social media. What social media influencers? Are they being influenced by the, the Dylan Mulvaney's of the world? Are they being influenced by the Harry Sissons of the world? Are they being influenced by these, these little bubblehead 20-year-olds who have a far outsized influence than what their incredibly narrow vision and experience entitle them to? You have to do it. That's step one. Step one is you have to find a way. And that's why I just kind of said I was going to uh, do this just because it came in, into my email inbox. This literally is my most recent email. It's an email about Alliance Defending Freedom. You know, we have ADF lawyers on this ca- this program all the time, and we talk about some of the important cases uh, that they're they are, uh, undertaking to protect and preserve largely the First Amendment, uh, rights to free speech, and mostly freedom of religion. Well, they're offering a training that I think could very much help you in what I talked about on Prager yesterday. This is just, I don't know, sometimes there's just a symbiosis that happens that this just kind of came. When I said, you've got to do the work, um, and now I get this email telling you how to do the work. Uh, Dear friend, over the past few years, parents across the nation have woken up to the threats facing their God-given, constitutionally protected rights. In Albemarle County, Virginia, one school system's anti-racism policy is indoctrinating students with divisive practices based on a critical race theory, or based on critical race theory. In one instance, the mother of a multiracial student raised concerns about these practices, and school administrators suggested they could help by segregating her son from the other students during anti-racism activities. In Wisconsin, parents were horrified to discover that their school policy encouraged school officials to socially transition gender-confused children by changing their names, pronouns, dress, and even what restroom or locker room they use without parents' knowledge or consent. For one family, school officials insisted they would persist in treating their daughter as a boy even after their, her parents told them to stop. And in Harrisonburg, Virginia, one school, uh, school board is usurping parents' rights to direct the upbringing of their kids and forcing school staff to violate their religious beliefs by adopting the board's view on gender identity. Upon a child's request, school district policy requires staff to immediately begin using opposite-sex pronouns and forbids staff from sharing information with parents about their child's request. 
instead instructing staff to mislead and deceive parents. These are just three cases where parents are standing up to protect their fundamental role and authority. But this is happening throughout the nation, and parents, you must be prepared in advance to defend your children against the impact of radical policies and classroom practices based on harmful ideologies. With that in mind, we present to you ADF's free course, Parental Rights in the Face of Critical Theory. It's a 35, excuse me, it's a 45 minute training that will feature some of the nation's top parental rights experts and attorneys answering pressing questions and providing real steps you can take to engage with your school board and policymakers. During the training, you will be empowered to exercise your parental rights in the face of the increasing push for children to adhere to critical race and gender ideology. You'll be equipped to stand up for your children's well-being if your rights are not being respected. You will be encouraged in your unique God-given role as a parent. Equip yourself on a critical issue challenging our culture, undermining parental rights, and affecting a generation of our nation's children. And what I have here is a link to that training. And what I will do is post it on my social media accounts. If I can do so, and I'm going to click it now, yeah, I can do it. It's right on the Alliance Defending Freedom website. And I'll post it on my Facebook page. I'll post it on my Twitter feed, which is France Rants, F-R-A-N-T-Z, Rants, R-A-N-T-Z. And I'll post it on my Truth Social. Those are the only ones that I've got going right now. But I will post them, and you should watch it. It's 45 minutes. I haven't seen it myself yet. It just came across my uh, email screen. But it is something that I am confident if it's produced by ADF, it will have value. All right? So that was the first thing, or actually that was the second thing I was going to do. The last thing I was going to do um, when we came into the segment, meaning last on the show but first in the segment, was to congratulate the lawmakers in Utah because this is a step in that right direction. Utah has become the first state to require social media firms to get parental consent for children to use their apps and to verify that users are at least 18. The governor of Utah said he signed the two sweeping measures to protect young people in the state. It gives parents full access to their children's online accounts, including posts and private messages. It comes amidst heightened concern over the impact of social media on children's mental health. And obviously, it's not just their mental health. But as I've been stating, it is their uh, their indoctrination and uh, brainwashing, if you will, at the hands of the far-left Marxists who are intending on destroying uh, your family, literally to break down the nuclear family. Under the measures enacted today, a parent or guardian's explicit consent will be needed before children can create accounts on apps such as Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. The bill also imposes a social media curfew that blocks children's access between uh, 2.30 and 6.30, I guess that would... No, I'm sorry, beg, that, beg your pardon. It's, it's in military time, 22.30, that would be what? That would be 10.30 p.m., I think? I think that's 10.30 p.m. and 6.30 a.m., unless adjusted by their parents. So the, the kids' devices would be blinds when they're supposed to be sleeping. That's a terrific, terrific idea. Spencer Cox, Republican governor of Utah, wrote on Twitter, we are no longer willing to let social media companies continue to harm the mental health of our youth. As leaders and parents, we have a responsibility to protect our young people. That is outstanding. That is one of the best bills that I have seen come down the line. You want to protect 
your kids from the indoctrination of the social media influencers. Protect your kids from social media, period. So good job, Utah. Thanks, everybody, for listening, being a part of the show today. Thanks to my guests, Jerry Serino Jr. and Dr. Everett Piper. Thanks to my team. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Be well, be safe, stay free. See you then. Bye-bye. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.